All right, so today, getting started on the sermon, Thomas, you just kind of preached the sermon, so gosh. We are starting today a five-part sermon series titled, It Takes Courage. And next week, uh, Paul Diani is going to share with us, then after that, Nathan Flieger is going to share with us, and then I'll be back to, to do uh, uh, parts uh, four and five. Um, but let's face it. It takes courage to follow Jesus, right? After worship, we usually have some ministry time here at this church, and maybe if something pertains to you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. It takes courage to raise your hand. If you were a visitor here today or in the past or whatever, it took courage to raise your hand. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a visitor, and, you know, that takes courage. We, we, we realize that. Um, it takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to represent Jesus. It takes courage to stand strong in our faith. Now, life takes courage. There's a lot of things that we, we come up against where we need some courage to, to face this. And, and so what we're going to talk about today to, set, to kind of set the, 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 the groundwork for the series is that it takes courage to stand, in your, to stand for the truth. It takes courage to stand for the truth. Today might be a little challenging for some of us. It's going to start off kind of easy. But as we get going, it's going to get a little more challenging. And here's what I want to encourage you. Don't put your guard up. Wrestle it out with God. I have a coffee cup here. Very good friend of mine. Some of you might know him. His name is Simon Forsyth. He was a pastor here. We sent him out, planted a church. He went to be with the Lord at an early age. And then his church put out some coffee cups with some of his favorite slogans on them. One of them I cannot display in my office. <laughs> but I have these in my office. It's got a little character, Simon. He was Irish, and he's got his kilt on right here. But this is my favorite. It says, put it all on Jesus and let it ride. Put it all on Jesus and let it ride. Let him take care of the stuff that you don't understand. Let him take care of the things that are bogging you down. You're struggling with something? Give it to him and let it ride, man. Let him take care of it because that's what he's there for. So that's what I'm going to tell you. If you're sitting here today and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't know, put it on Jesus and just ride it out with him. Let it ride. You know, because, because he wants to change some hearts this morning. So following Jesus takes courage to stand for the truth. And, and many times, isn't it true, like we get into a conversation, especially nowadays, and we want to say something at work, or we want to say something to a family member or to a friend or something, or maybe we just want to invite somebody to church, and we don't do it. We lack the courage. And then what do we do? We beat ourselves up, like, oh, I can't do this. I stink. I'm a loser, Christian. Oh, how am I going to represent Jesus? Is it just me? I mean, I mean, it happens, right? Listen, I'm going to show you something where you will see that you stand in good company. I'm going to read a passage out of John chapter 7. This is very interesting. Now, remember, I read out of the New Living Translation, so it might, it might read a little bit differently than, than what you're used to reading, but 
in the Gospel of John chapter 7, it starts out by saying the Jewish leaders were plotting the death of Jesus. That's the beginning of the chapter. And, and, and there's this, this big Jewish festival coming up, and, and Jesus is like, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to go. I'm going I'm to kind of hide and stay in some secret here. And his very own brothers are like, well, why don't you go? Go and show your stuff so everybody can see who you are. And it says, even they did not believe in him, his own siblings. And then, and then Jesus ends up going in secret. And there began to be some arguing amongst the people. And, and let me just read this to you. Uh, in verse 12, verse 12 and 13, there was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. You ever been in an argument about that, about a conversation about Jesus or, or your faith, and people are like, yeah, it's good. No, it's deceiving. Well, those conversations have been happening for thousands of years, a couple thousand years. Listen to this. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Can you imagine that? They were arguing, he's a good man, he deceives people, he's a good man, he deceives people, but nobody would say it publicly. Now even the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 18, he, he, Paul was, was Jewish, and he became a believer, and so he starts preaching Jesus to the Jewish people. Well, they weren't having it. They didn't want to hear it, so he shakes the dust off his feet and leaves the town and says, I am going to preach this good news to the Gentiles. He may have said that in boldness, but what I read in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10 tells me that he had some inner struggles with this, possibly. I, I could just maybe think this out loud a little bit, because in Acts chapter 18, verses 9, it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you, for many people in this city belong to me. So here Paul, you know, he wants to preach Jesus to his people. He's Jewish. And they say, we're not having it. We don't want to hear of this. So he shakes the dust off his feet, says, I'm going to the Gentiles. But there must have been something inside of him that said, I want to preach to my people. I don't know if this is how I should be doing this, God. And God showed up to him in a vision and said, don't be silent. Speak up. Don't be afraid. No one's going to harm you. Isn't that, is it, don't you think that would help you with some boldness and some courage? Well, that's how God is, all right? So here's the thing. Passages like this help me see that followers of Jesus and even the Apostle Paul struggled with courage when it came to sharing their faith. So if I'm being honest, when I struggle with that and when I walk away from a conversation or a situation or a party or something like that, I'm like, man, I really, really should, gosh, I'm, I'm even a pastor. I should, have, I should have prayed for them before I left. I, I should have said this. I should have said that. I could beat myself up all day. And to be honest, I kind of do. But then I have these honest conversations with Jesus. And I'm like, God, first of all, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm such a loser. But then I'm like, can you help me? Can you help me? 
Just have a little more boldness, a little more courage. And you know, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't smack me upside the head and make me feel like a loser. He encourages me. Because he's a loving father that wants nothing but the best for his children. And a loving parent, when they see that their kids are down, they don't kick them when they're down. They pick them up and they help them along. And so when you're feeling like that, keep John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 18 in mind and read that. And then say, Jesus, can you help me? And I promise you, he'll be there for you. And so here's the deal, all right? I filter everything through this word, through this book. Everything in my life is filtered through God's word. Every important decision, everything about our marriage, everything about our parenting, everything about our family, finances, work, the church, ministry, counseling. When should I say this? When should I not say this? Everything is filtered through this word. Because here's the thing, all things in life I filter through God's word and that's how we ought to do it. That's what will keep us out of trouble. Amen. <laughs> you know, but we all have, even me, we all have a lens in which we make our decisions through, right? We have this lens that we see that we make our decisions through. We, we have a worldview with our perception of how life should be based on our life's experiences, based on the household we grew up in, based on how we were treated or not treated by our parents, based on our work environment, based on everything. We have a worldview in which we make our decisions through. And every time we make a decision, it's based on our past experiences. And here's the thing. It's natural to do that because that's how we are designed as human beings. But the moment we put our faith in Jesus, the moment we invite him into our lives, we must make the Bible the lens in which we see through because life can often get cloudy and it can be really tricky on how to navigate through some of life's decisions, and especially the decisions that are happening in our society. And if we're not using the Bible as our lens, we'll find ourselves in a little bit of a pickle now and then. Because everybody has their worldviews, and we are either influenced by them, or we are influencing others with them. So today we're going to look at some world views. We're going to look at what I'm calling, I, you, can, you can argue with me about this, I don't care. I'm just calling them today the top three. There, there's probably some others that are out there. It just depends on where you're at on the spectrum. But I'm going to say these are, these are the top three. And there's hundreds of them, right? Because we, we've all got them. The first one we're going to look at is materialism. Thought this one would be kind of easy, but it might hit home for some people. You know, materialism is, is money, things, the possession of things, the accumulation of stuff. The way we measure success is our wealth and accumulation of things. When materialism is at the top of our priority thing. If a person is not wealthy, we don't consider them successful. I disagree with that. 
I don't consider myself wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. But I do consider our family successful Amen. because we're a tight family. We have a good life. We have fun. We, we have a small little home, but we, we, we use every inch of it. <laughs> but we love our home. You know what? We often talk about moving, and I'm like, Kim, all this stuff I've done to the yard, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Just put in a big, fancy fire pit. We're not. All we're going to do now is buy more wood. <laughs> but listen, I consider ourselves successful because of where we are at in Jesus and how he takes care of us. But here's the thing. When money and the economy because those two go hand in hand, become the most important to us, then it determines how we think. It determines how we vote. And it determines how we will act and react to certain situations. Now, now but when the, when the Bible becomes our filter, we can use it to determine the truth when it comes to money and possessions. And Jesus talked a lot about this. The famous passage, I think, is in Matthew chapter 6 towards the end. But let's see what Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man who walked the earth, said about money. Proverbs chapter 11. Trust in your money and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. That right there is why I consider myself, our family, successful. The godly flourish. They bloom, they blossom. They're looking good all the time. Leaves that come out in spring. The springtime is when they look the best. Ecclesiastes chapter five, Solomon wrote this book. He was a man of God and then he strayed and then he came back and when he came back, he wrote this book about how, how dumb everything is out there outside of God. It's, it's a waste, it's meaningless. It's just the cycle of life. But he wrote this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So if you have money at the top of your list, like I've got to get more, 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 I'm never going to have enough, use this as your filter because God's word says, trust in your money and down you go. Now, please hear me on this. Wealth is a good thing. <laughs> God wants us to be wealthy. Successful business people, successful uh, companies and things like that, they make money because they are successful, and that's a good thing. I'm not, against, I'm, not, I'm not against that. But when it becomes the main priority, then we need to be a little careful. So that's materialism, all right? Kind of easy. The second worldview we're going to look at is pretty big in today's culture. It's called individualism. We're going to see, we're going to, we're going to get a little bit more and more. So individualism, I believe it's a dangerous worldview to embrace because it means I don't care what happens to those around me as long as I get what I'm longing for. All right? I will do whatever it takes to make myself look better than all those around me. I'll use the filter I need. I'll make sure, I'll make sure my selfies are perfect. The background is what it should be. I'll make sure this plate of food looks better than any plate of food anybody in the world has ever eaten with one bite taken out of it. Yeah. I'll make sure that I look the best. 
Well, here's the deal with that. God didn't create us to live life for ourselves. Okay? God created us for something far bigger than anything we can dream up. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says this. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So if you're here today and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to be looking out for those around you. What are the two most important things that Jesus said? Love God, love your neighbor. You put God first and you put others around you second. And when you do that, you will find out that your Father in heaven takes care of all of your needs. That's what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 6. You put him first. He'll take care of you as you are taking care of others. But I want to read a passage in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. I'm going to read it, and then I'll put some context to it. So this is Jesus speaking. The Son of Man, he's referring to himself. That's another way of saying the Son of God. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory, in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. The end of that there is kind of heavy, isn't it? But here's the deal. To put a little context to this, prior to this, Jesus is having a private conversation with his disciples, and he's like, hey, who, who, what's, what's the word about me on the street? Who are people saying I am? Well, some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. You're, you're this, you're that. Yeah, but who do you say I am? Peter says, well, you're, you're the Messiah sent by God. Jesus says, right you are, Peter, and you didn't come up with that on your own. The Holy Spirit told you that. But listen, guys, don't tell anybody because his time hadn't come yet. He didn't want it to be public just yet. Because remember, somewhere around this time, the Jewish leaders were plotting to kill him. And he already knows this. He's telling them this. So, so he starts out in verse 22. He's telling them this. Listen, I'm going to suffer many terrible things. But he refers to himself in the third person. So they're probably like, who's this son of man? They, they, they knew who he's talking about, but they don't really, it's not, it's not sinking in. And then he says to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my followers. See, when Jesus tells everyone the worldview that a person must have if they want to follow him, he sets the example for us. Because Jesus does not live his life for himself. And I'm using that in present tense. When he walked the earth, he did not live his life for himself. He lives his life for us. 
He gave up his life here on this earth so that we could have life in him. He was always looking and observing and seeing where the Father was moving and working and how he could press into that and bring the kingdom of God to life in somebody else's life. See, when we stop living life for ourselves and live the life we were created for, we will gain more than we could ever imagine. All the possessions in the world will mean nothing to us. They'll be nice things to have, but life has a much deeper and richer meaning. For instance, in verse 25, he addresses a materialistic worldview. What good is it if a person gains the whole world, but they themselves are lost? It's nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And then in verse 26 is the very essence of this series. It takes courage. If we put our faith in Jesus, but are ashamed of him and his message, what does he say he's going to be of us when he returns? ashamed of us. Now, I'm going to add a little caveat to there because I don't believe that he's talking about those that, that, that kind of, you know, freeze up when it comes to sharing your faith. You know, because, because it happens and it's going to happen. But, you know, if you got your Bible sitting out at work and all of a sudden your coworker comes by and you do like this kind of stuff, are you ashamed to have that out? Are you ashamed to talk about Jesus when it comes time? Like, like it's a heart attitude is what it is. If, if, if you just freeze up and you feel bad about it and everything else, that's not being ashamed. That's just, that, that's almost just you. That, that's kind of the enemy uh, putting guilt and making you feel bad. And maybe it could be some conviction or whatever. But ashamed is, I, I'm going to hide my face because I don't want people to know I follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. To me, that hits hard. That hits a little bit different than everything else that he's talking about. Now, everybody good? We're going to hit number three. <laughs> number three is a worldview that doesn't really have a name to describe it. I came up with this on my own. No, I didn't. But it's something that many people and even many Christians have slipped into doing. And it's this. Putting more trust in our government than in the word of God. <laughs> yeah. Listen. Too many people hold their political party up here and their Bible down here. Their filter is up here and not right here. So in Matthew chapter 22, we kind of did an in-depth discussion in our life group last Sunday about this. Religious leaders, they were, they were doing a, a, a series called Defining Moments, and it's all about how people have a defining moment and they come to Jesus and it's really, really good. And then we did one where people had a defining moment and they pushed Jesus away, which is what the religious leaders did. So they were literally trying to trap him in these questions. So they asked him, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, they said, they asked him a question about paying taxes. They want to trip him up in this because, because the taxes needed to be paid to Rome and the, the Jewish people didn't like Rome because they controlled the area and all this and that. So it, was, it really wasn't an answer that Jesus could win, regardless of what he said. So they ask him this question, you know, who do you think 
these taxes should go to. So he says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So we, we, mo most people who aren't even Christians know that. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? We, we throw that out there to tell people to pay their taxes. Well, in the context of this passage, Caesar represents the government. So, so what do we give the government as followers of Jesus? What do we give the government? Well, for starters, our respect. We give the government our respect. We give the government our support. We give the government our prayers. Because whether you voted somebody in office or not, or your person won or did not, you know, God is the one that puts people in positions of power. So he's always in control. The world is never spinning out of control where God's up there going, oh, what do we do? It's another four years. I'm going to have to get my guy in there. God knows what he's doing. And so we need to support what's happening with our government. But in the context of what Jesus said, we are to pay taxes and we are to obey the laws of the land. And in return, the government, speaking of American, is to protect and preserve the freedom and the order of the country. And this happens by those who are voted into office. We always vote who we think should be the person that we want to have that position. We ought to be thinking about that person through the lens of this. Really. But, what is it that Jesus says we are to give to God? You know, he, he, the religious leaders, oh, oh, and also, just so you know, government isn't a bad thing. You know, it's an institution that God created. And you read in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and everything, God set this structure up. But, you know, mankind, we, we seem to know better than him. We mess things up. God said, hey, you know, guys, religious leaders, Jesus said, you got to pay your taxes, okay? You're asking me about this? Pay your taxes. But then you need to give to God what is his. They tried to trick him in a question, and then he turned it around and caught them because they had to answer, which they didn't. What are we to give to God? Well, for starters, our lives. If we ask Jesus into our life and, and we follow him and we trust in him, then we owe him our lives. I owe him my life. Placing our faith and trust in Jesus redeems us for eternity. Don't you think we owe him a little something other than just gratitude? I mean, he bought and paid for our eternity on the cross. So we owe him. But what else are we to give to God? Our first fruits, the tithes, the first 10% of our income belongs to God. There's a famous passage in Malachi chapter 3, and, and some versions uh, say, you know, God says, does a man rob God? And the Jewish people say, no, we, we wouldn't rob you. In the New Living Translation, it says, does a man cheat God? No, we're not cheating you. Well, you're not tithing. You're not bringing in the first fruits. It's established in the laws of the Old Testament that to honor God with your tithes. Why is that? Because everything we have belongs to him. Everything we have is because of him. 
All he's asking is 10%. And what he's saying is, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I, I read, I read, I, I, these, these kinds of articles, pastoral articles, they, they, they make smoke come out of my ears because people are like, no, God loves a cheerful giver. You don't have to tithe. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. Well, we can read in the book of Acts, the early church gave everything. So if you don't want to believe in tithing because it's Old Testament, then you should be giving 100%. And by the way, live in a commune with everybody else so you're sharing everything and eating everything and doing everything together. That's New Testament tithing. I'm going to go with Old Testament. <laughs> it's a law that God, it's a law that God established. Now, listen, listen, you ready for this? This, this is going to sting a little bit. It might pinch you a little bit in the side. I think people don't tithe because they don't trust God. It's a trust issue. It's been a trust issue all along since in the garden with Adam and Eve. When you don't tithe, you're saying, God, I don't trust you with 10% of what I think should belong to me. Even though I prayed for that job interview to get that job, and I got it, and I thanked you for it and everything else, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to tithe because I need that to pay the bills. We needed it to pay bills before, and we still tithe. And guess what? We had money left over. It happens every time. It's a trust issue. It all has to do with trust. And here, you know what? Here's the other thing, okay? Listen, I want you to wrestle this out if, if you struggle in this area, okay? Tithing is investing in God's kingdom. So if you have a 401k plan or you have a retirement plan or you invest your money over here and over here and over here so that you can make more money, why are you investing for your retirement but you're not investing in your eternity? Because the tithe is eternal. You're, you're building up riches in heaven with the kingdom of God. Your tithe helps the church present the gospel to people who might not see it. Some of you that gave to Amelia so she could go on that mission trip probably gave out of the money that you had that God gave, not probably, you did, out of the money that God supplied for you, and she took the mission, the, the ministry 4,500 4, miles away, 4,000 miles away. Your money helped her do that. You invested in the kingdom. Your tithe invests in this church right here, in the kingdom that we represent, the part of God's kingdom that we represent right here in this church. It supports what we do. And if you're a part of this church family, you should be investing in the kingdom of God where you are being fed spiritually. I, I, I really... It, it, it almost kind of hurts me that some people don't understand the supernatural protection that the tithe brings. You know, it's, it's not like eating a magic bean and everything's going to be fine. I'm, I'm tithing. I got my beans, you know, my magic beans. I'll never have a problem again. Pastor Chip said if I tithe, everything's going to be fine. No, it isn't. As a matter of fact, if you don't tithe and you decide to tithe, things are probably going to get worse for a minute, but you've got to press into it. Because the enemy doesn't want you tithing. I'll tell you what happens is when, when, when hard times hit and you have a medical bills or, or, or health issues or financial stuff comes your way, 
You keep tithing because God will give you a way out, a supernatural way out. That's how it works. It's supernatural, but it all is built on trust. So that's what it is. Okay, now, we'll bring it home with this. You know, and then here's the thing. You know, we, we don't tithe, we don't do some of this stuff, we don't use the Bible as our filter, and we wonder why life is spiraling out of control. Our culture is crumbling around us. We're in a constant state of crisis. There's controversies, there's corruption, there's chaos, confusion, conflicts within families and even in the church. All because we put too much trust in one political party or the other and not enough trust in the word of God. And then what happens is we begin picking and choosing what we think is right. We take a little bit of what our favorite politician said and we find a part of our favorite verse and we put those together and we say, yeah, see, that's what you're supposed to believe in. That's why I vote this way. But what we should do is listen to what the politicians say, see where it lines up in the word of God and say, yes, I agree or no, I, I think I'm going to hold back on that for a little bit. And here's the thing too, don't make a decision right off the bat. Think about it for a minute. And God will speak to you about it. Because what I was just talking about here is what we call being presumptuous with the word of God. And you don't want to be presumptuous with God's truth. Because when you start assuming things about the word of God, your truth is now no longer constant. It changes with the opinions of man. Filtering everything through the truth of God's word gives us a solid foundation to which we can base all of life's decisions on because the truth never changes. It's constant. Opinions change. Science changes. We found that during the pandemic, right? Science changes all the time. God's word never changes. And if we're going to be courageous people for the gospel and stand for the truth, then we must build our lives on that which never changes, the truth of God's word. So I'll close, I'll close out the message with this today. Listen, I know stuff isn't easy. If following Jesus was easy, most of us probably wouldn't be here. It's challenging. He's challenging. And oftentimes, I feel like he says, challenge the church. And today's one of those days. Challenge. I want to challenge you. If some of this stuff made you like, whoa, I, uh, uh, put it all on Jesus and let it ride. Amen. All right? Because here's the thing. It's not easy when we're challenged with the truth of the gospel. But you know what else wasn't easy? Being nailed to a cross. If Jesus can do that for me and for every one of us in here that put our faith in him, then we can wrestle some things out with him that we struggle with. And in turn, I know I will do my best to stand on the truth of God's word. But I want to close out with this passage because look what you get in return. Hebrews chapter 6. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain 
into God's inner sanctuary. Amen? We'll end up with that. Let's pray. Thanks for hanging with me here. We're going to move into a time of worship, but let's just pray. Lord God, I I thank you, Jesus. Um, I thank you for your word. God, that, that sometimes is, is, it's, a, it's a struggle. It's not always easy. And um, God, for anybody that might be wrestling some things out today, I ask that as we move into a time of worship, you would speak to them about that in a gentle, loving manner. So that, I, you know, I, I know, I feel like I'm speaking to some people right here that, that God wants you to know, I want to walk through life side by side with you, but I can't because the trust isn't there. And it's the trust on your end, not on God's end. And I I want to pray, my prayer is, if that just hit home with somebody, that as we head into a time of worship, that you begin opening up that line of communication with God. And be honest. Be honest. God, I, I, I struggle with this. Because he wants nothing more than to see us through life, walk through life with us, and be with us by our side 24-7. So God, I thank you for that. We pray this in your name. Amen.